All right, so if you've not seen Daniel's videos, his life story is very intense and very harrowing. He's been through an absolute shit ton of things um, from growing up, you know, aspiring to be a professional football player, and then tragedy befalls his family. I'm not going to say what because he, he'll explain all that himself. Ends up in prison ends up in an institution where he's getting heavily medicated, he's fighting mental um, shockwaves that are like trying to drag him down, but at the same time, he's trying to do the right thing. So he goes through this battle, goes inside himself, confronts his demons, and now he's out on the streets helping the homeless people, going up and down the country. So it's so inspirational when you hear what he's been through to what he's doing today. And we urge you to please support Daniel in his work. He's got his Instagram back on your feet. Feet, spell F-E-A-T. He's got a GoFundMe and his YouTube channel is back on your feet. TV, F-E-A-T, TV. And all of Daniel's links will be in the description box below the video. So stay with us now for the next couple of hours as he takes us through his life story. Also co-hosting today is Jen. If you're not familiar with Jen... She runs an organic cotton clothing company called Boom and Jen. And you can catch her on Insta. All her links also will be on the description box. This video today has been organized by, shall I give you a shout out? Yeah, by, by um, what's your channel? It is what it is TV. You may have seen some of the stuff on the, um, we did, was done with Yami in the past couple of years or so. So also, it is what it is. TV's link will be in the description box as well. Huge thank you to Nick for coordinating these interviews. Daniel then, right, let's start off with um, whereabouts you were growing up. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for having me. Oh, cheers. That yeah. means a lot. Pleasure. It. Absolute pleasure. Yes, and big thank you to Nick from It Is What It Is TV. He's yeah. a childhood friend that's made this happen, so love and respect, Nick. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so my name's Daniel. Um, I grew up in South East London, so Peckham. So born and raised all my life, grew up in there. So those that don't know Peckham or those that do, it's um, it's a poverty-driven um, area upbringing people coming from diverse backgrounds and struggles so yeah that's how it all really really started for me in peckham like so, so if you look at london then on the map whereabouts is peckham it's, it's southeast southeast, southeast is yeah. it okay yeah, Gosh, yeah, so, yeah. That, so that's southeast london yeah yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. been it's has it had a lot of like history of soccer and stuff like that Soccer. Football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like Rio. I spent 20 years in America, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Rio Ferdinand was from Peckham. Yeah. So he, he made it. Um, his brother, many other footballers have come out of Peckham as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So as a young person growing up then, did that influence you, those teams? Yeah, yeah. Like that was, that was my main thing was the football because yeah. like growing up in Peckham, like um, I'd say it was a broken home. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of struggles, and like I had both family members living in the same household, but they were both separated, so sleeping in different rooms. It was a bit, um, bit hectic, a bit all over the place. So my thing was always sports, yeah. So that's um, something that always I had a passion to break the cycle of what I was brought up in and to try to make it 
at the other side. So yeah. that's what you channel the energy into as a young person. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we go there, then, um, like you, you developing your sports skill, how did your parents meet? Yeah. Mm. So they they met. Um, so my dad is he's passed away now, but it's eighty four. So mm. he was come from Malta to because I'm half Maltese, half Scottish. Right. Yeah, and um, my dad came from Malta and then ended up meeting my mum yeah. at that point, but don't really know the, the, ins, the, the, in, no. the ins and outs and the history of it. Yeah. Okay, so that's how they met. And then what about siblings? Yeah, so I've got um, an elder brother who sadly passed away, and I've got two sisters. How okay. did your older brother pass yeah. away? So, um, as I explained, like coming from a deprived background, uh, going through the struggles, the upbringing, the household was never intact 110%. So my brother was out on the streets and just being a, a young person shouldn't have been really doing what he was doing. But at that time, there was a big craze where people were sniffing glue and fire extinguisher gas. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah. so he um, ended up choking on his own vomit as he tried to jump over my back garden wall and fed into the Christ. garden. Yeah, so he was only oh. he was only twelve when he died. How old are you when he died? I was six. Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that had a big, big impact on yeah. my family breakdown, and my mum obviously turned to drink to cope for her coping mechanisms, and my dad was the one that kept the family like solid and kept the foundation strong. Do so, you remember what you were doing when you found out about the death? I can't, do you know what, to be honest with you, I can't really, really remember the moment and the point, but I just, yeah. at, at being so young, I just remember, because we wasn't told straight away that um, it happened, but when it, when we knew and we was aware of it happened, it was, um, it was a big impact from that, from that day forward, life just changed, like the, um, the sort of feelings, the emotions, as a young person growing up not knowing any different and then having to go through seeing your mum no disrespect to my mum because I love my mum God rest her soul as well um, she did her best to cope with what she was going through losing her son and obviously she's had a traumatic life herself so it it was very very difficult from, from that moment on like it wasn't like there wasn't much happiness that I could remember, to be honest with you, like at all. It was just mayhem from from, from the point. from yeah. the get go. Yeah. What was your relationship with your brother like before you know that happened? Yeah, it was it was good. See, where I was only turns. where I was Thank only you, carry on, I'll do my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, open any time. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like yeah. free flow. So I was only six. So I've got memories, mm. but not a lot of memories but i was very like protected by my brother yeah yeah so yeah it was very um it was a very special person to be honest with you and just lost his life way too soon mm. who introduced you to the football um so from like i was saying so where the trauma and the struggles the the mayhem that was going in going on in my household that football was my escape so anytime there was arguing i just take the ball go around the back or go meet friends and play some football. So that was kind of my escape route. Yeah, so, but what also come with that was the, um, 
battling the, the trauma or the emotions that you don't even know you're fighting against. I was taking all this pain and aggression out onto the streets. So football came mixed up with my lifestyle, which later, sadly, down the line, my career didn't go how it was supposed to, which I'll explain. But, Are we yeah. talking about fighting? Yeah, yeah, just always getting into um, into fights and stuff, like growing up, um, not wanting to get into fights or going out purposely looking for fights. But when when you're going through such a difficult time at home, seeing your family break down, your mum deteriorate on a day-to-day basis, like your sister struggling and your dad struggling, there's so much... <clears throat> there's so much pain to kind of endure at a young age. Do you know what I mean? So I was, my my thing was just to escape the outside and then play football and then whatever come on my way was kind of like just anger kind of thing. It's totally understandable. So like your first six years, things are stable. This happens. Must have just sent an absolute, you know, trauma and hell through the family. Yeah, and then yeah. people are falling back on self-medicating. Did you say your mum was drinking and stuff? Or? Yeah, my mum um, yeah. ended up hitting the drink really bad at that point as well because she just lost her sister as well. Um, so she, imagine she's lost her sister, uh, then her, elder, her first son. So That was around the same time? Yeah, exact Jeez. same. Was she on any, any medication at the time <sighs> as well? Um, not that I know of. No. I know it was just, um, just strictly um, alcohol. It wasn't no other... Form right. of drugs yeah. or medication. Well, but yeah, she, powerful drug. She def- definitely suffered with um, mental health issues as well, which um, I later um, understood as I grew up into an adult and started to battle with my emotions and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was um, it was it was tra- it was traumatic to say to say the least. To be honest with you, because a lot of things that people understood about me is, do you know what Daniel? He's got a good heart, mm. but he's just random like it could just be spontaneous so it was kind of the thing where where there wasn't that love at home like we knew we was loved but there wasn't that them hugs them kisses put to bed stories you know like some kids of growing up in a family which is how i raise my children is Mm. structure and discipline and you know go to bed at a certain time eat your food then you're getting put to bed with sorry getting put to bed with um a story and you're going to sleep in peace where mine they were just arguing did constantly. you have to put yourself to bed yeah or my sister yeah 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 so my sister and well, at that that age but yeah that that's just what it was so it was just from morning from morning to night there would be some sort of um instability where no child should go through it like i could give you an example um being young and my mum's brother God rest his soul as always passed. He'd just turn up from North London to Peckham at like four or five in the morning. And then I'm waking up and then the next thing, there's blood everywhere in the house where my dad's lost it. They're fighting this. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, to kind of give you a view as a young child growing up from six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and things like, say nine, ten, I was kind of, I've enjoyed this now. So I'm kind of built for what, to happen but when you're not aware of it just imagine a little child um seeing this cup waking up blood everywhere uncle dad fighting mum arguing i'm jumping over my back garden and going to the neighbors so because you as a child seeing this sort of stuff it's not normal do you know what i mean yeah 
So that's where kind of all the um, the frustration and I suppose the most important thing for me was I didn't have no one to express myself to and understand. Do you know what I mean? Because if you don't, if you bottle things up, the only thing that happens is explosion, isn't it? And that's exactly. always that what happened with me. And I was very misunderstood. Mm. Yeah. So your mum's sister and your aunt. What what happened with her? Was it an accident or was it? Um, no, my auntie had a heroin overdose. Oh, yeah. So this is where when we will talk about down the line where my charity organisation comes into play. So yeah. my mum's um, sister died of um, was her young one of her youngest of a heroin overdose. And then my brother died of fire extinguisher gas. And so, yeah, it was just that. How that, old was your mum's sister at that time? I think she was about 30, yeah, 36 or something. Yeah. Young. My uncle was 42. So they all died pretty pretty young through yeah. a, um, self-abuse and drugs and things like that. So What were you like in school? School, school I was all right, but it, it, it stems from the same thing, like, I wasn't the best academically. I could read, write, I could understand what was going on. But my headspace wasn't in school. So, and it's nothing to glamorise or glorify because I don't believe in, I don't believe in violence or hurting people. But at that point in my life, I was going to school and just getting into problems. Like, mm. fighting from a young age, not even wanting to fight, but because of, I was never good with, um, I was never good with confrontation. Like, if I got confronted, I kind of only knew one way how to resolve the the situation, which isn't always the best solution to go down. Yeah, Can take. you remember your first fight at school? Um, I've got quite a funny story. <laughs> it was over a pencil case. It's your first fight at school. <laughs> I, I, I can't even remember, you know, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, it, it was kind of a regular occurrence in, in, in school and thing. And it wasn't just in school, it was a coming out of school and that. So there's and like I said, because there's another story to my life journey that I'd never ever want to glorify fighting and no. it's, it's not something no, it's not, no to disrespect of. to you answering the question. It's something with fighting I don't kind of like to glorify it. I've been through Understood. it but yeah. There's there's stages and circumstances that happen later on in life that um, I wish never happened. Like. You could reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was always that, and that this, this is the thing. Like, um, it's so it's so important to for people to understand families, mm. um, your peer groups, and not every not everybody is um, going through certain situations. What makes them behave like that? And if they are going through situations, you need an elder, you need a family member to witness this or observe you and pull you aside and be like, look, boom, don't go down this road, do this. Mm. And I never, ever really had that. The only thing I had was my group of friends in Peckham or wherever I went. I always tried to build a family of real people that um, I felt I could trust. And it was always that. I was always looking for that family bond, but of real people. And as you know, life ain't always as real as it is or seems. And there's a lot of snaky people along the journey. Definitely. So um, yeah, it just comes. It just comes parcel and parcel of that of that um, life of growing up in that struggle. So when you was a kid, how was the gangs of Peckham structured? Yeah, yeah. So it was always it's always been kind of how it has been from generations. But 
growing up in Peckham, like I'm 36, I knew everybody in Peckham. Do you know what I mean? I was never part of a part of a gang or nothing like that, or was part of any um, gang activities. But I knew everybody. Like I'm from Peckham, and I know the main people in Peckham. I'm in Wharf Road. I know the main people in Wharf Road, Bermondsey, which is all sectioned off Old Kent Road. It's all in the same serenity. So my thing was, I'm not part of it, but I know everybody kind of thing. Yeah. So the gang, the gang thing's always been there. Yeah. It's just got a bit, it's the same, but it's a bit more reckless. Like there's not, there's not no order. Do you know what I mean? In the young people, like, I suppose like when I was growing up, there was a level of respect for your elders or do you know what I mean? Mm. It couldn't, things had to be talked through or mm. if I got into an issue with you and I know your cousin or your brother, it couldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? It would yeah. be resolved as, as like grown and do you know what? There's levels to this, but where now it's just, it's just reckless. It's chaos. Yeah. yeah mm. it's just, what was your first arrest? So, when I was, so I'll take you through the, um, so schooling, yeah. primary school, getting in, never really doing any education, always. Um, do you know what? I was very, when I look back at now, I was very vulnerable as a, as a kid, like seven, eight, nine, ten. Like any young child, they should be protected and stuff like that. But I was always, I always felt I was in the wild kind of thing. So that, from primary school, football happening then going into secondary school i went to a secondary so my primary school was john don which is based in peckham and then i went to saint thomas the apostle which is a secondary school which was queens road peckham yeah so it was always good i love i love i love school in the sense of my secondary school i built up a group of friends were you quite popular yeah yeah do you know what i was all that's what that's one thing that's one thing about about me, I was always popular in a sense um, with the football and with whatever come with it, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. so my name was like always amongst, oh, he's a good footballer and I know, do you know what I mean, kind of thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. So as you're getting at the end of the school then, what are you thinking you're going to do oh, yeah, with so your life? I'm in St. Thomas the Apostle um, school now, so I'm in my first year doing really well, Um I'm doing really good at football at this point. So I'm in a good position where I'm getting scouted by a lot of <coughs> professional outfits. So Crystal Palace, QPR, Millwall. And then I signed professional forms with Millwall when I was 11. So How I was, did that feel at 11 to yeah, do that? Yeah. Do you know what? It, it, it was wicked. It was, um, as I've explained, there's, there's never been much happiness. So this is like a big achievement. And especially like where a lot of people are saying to my dad, your son is going to make it. Like mm. he's one of the next best, best things to happen. And wow. do you know, one hundred percent, the faith was there for me. And yeah, so secondary school, I'm doing really good with the school team. I'm getting scouted, and same thing. Like I um, said, I'm not very good with confrontation. I kind of just deal with it how I know how to deal with it. And I was in year seven, and do you know like the fifth year in school the last year yeah do you know what a prefect is yeah yeah Yeah. so the prefect's like the guy that wears the badge and he gives the kind of orders to the younger people and I'm in secondary school and this one prefect so I'm only I'm only 
12, 13 at this time. And he's 15, 16. But he keeps telling me, go and take the trays back. So when you finish lunch, the older lot, like years eight, nine, they don't have to take their trays back. So the prefect, they're at the door and then they send the younger ones to go and pick up other people's send trays. Send them off like minions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. And it kept on happening. Mm. And I accepted it a few times because that's the rules of the school. But you know when someone's kind of poking you and kind of um, targeting you in the sense of you've done it but I'm going to keep asking you and then that happened we got into a little altercation argument and I ended up after school going home and yeah seeing him on the road and then ended up getting into a fight with him and broke his jaw so at the age of 13 I'm being charged with a section 18 GBH so that was my to answer your question, that was my first first um, arrest. Wow! So yeah, but you had it coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you know? Do you know what? It's the one thing like um, people that know my character, or people that hearsay, is I never, I always stuck up for people that was more vulnerable. Like if I've seen somebody that was stronger picking on somebody, I always troubled a stronger person. That was kind of always my way do you know what i mean and i just didn't i didn't respect the kind of obviously you have to um assert your authority in whatever stage you're in your life or your surroundings but picking on people and bullying them wasn't really wasn't my thing i didn't i didn't respect it and i would always Mm. stick up for the ones that get bullied and stuff like that what you did was self-defense really yeah 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 definitely definitely but you know what sometimes um, if a situation's happened in school and you've now taken it onto the outside, so that's what ended up happening. And yeah, it was just um, I was at Mill at the time, and they stuck by me, and because I signed, I was signed with them, so they come to the courts and was supporting me. So that's that's um, yeah, the first time that I got arrested. So you got through that, then you didn't lose your football stuff. No, no, I didn't. I didn't lose my football stuff, but at this time, so. I'm I'm born and raised in Peckham, so that's my area. That's that's where I love. That's home to me. And um, but at this point, I've gone to I've got kicked out of school because of this. So right. you're but, expelled. Yeah, expelled. Yeah. Like okay. completely, no chances. Like straight out. Oh wow. So that was a big impact in in me as well because I built a good foundation of friends there as well. So now I've ended up going to a school in Old Kent Road, which is um, Woolworth. So from, I went a couple of weeks in year eight, no, year nine, and then I'd done, I finished the, the schooling until year 11, but I had a daughter at 15. Wow. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest with you. Like, it was a big, it was a big blessing. Like, um, yeah, so from going from secondary school, St. Thomas, getting kicked out, going to Woolworth. And then becoming a dad. Then becoming a dad. I yeah. left I left in year first week in year eleven, I left the school and become a dad. Mm. But yeah, at that point, so I've gone from Peckham um to now the school in Old Kent Road, Woolworth. Now I'm going around different areas. So now I'm in Wolf Road, I'm in Old Kent Road, Bermondsey, and my child's mum, I met her when I was um <clears throat> fourteen. So, how did you meet? Just um, in the area, like, do you know what? To be honest, one of her 
her brother was in my school. So mm. when she come and picked him up one time, I recognised her. And then, yeah, it just happened from there. So then my, I spent a lot of time, as well as living in Peckham and always coming back and checking my friends that are in Peckham, I was I spent a lot of time in Bermondsey. Yeah, so that was a period of my life with when my daughter was born. Still playing football. Um, yeah, then I got signed. Um, by No, I got... I left Millwall because nothing ever changed for me from being young to a teenager. It was always still that trauma, that anger, that me against the world kind of feeling. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and I, it kind of continued until I really signed a professional form for Gillingham. So Gillingham offered me a five-year um no, a three-year scholarship with a one-year extension of a pro contract. So you get that's, paid during this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used to get paid, but YTS money, so nothing, no. nothing major. Yeah, it was um, just silly money, really, at that time. I think it was like about a grand a month or something at fifteen, sixteen. So that's not bad when you're fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't better my paper out. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm now. Always believing in my talent because remember I've got a kid at fifteen now, so my dream has always been to break the cycle for my kids because I what I've experienced I wouldn't wish. Not there's people that's been through a hundred times worse than me. Like I never had to go through the sexual abuse or the physical sorry or the <laughs> physical violence and things like that. But the psychological trauma and warfare that I was battling wasn't a joke, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody because the result is later on losing yourself and ending up in places that you don't want to find yourself mm. yeah so yeah it was just um a journey a journey from there Sean to be honest with you and yeah how were your parents reacting to these major milestones in your life like having a kid yeah. getting signed up and um the arrest so my dad was always like where he's Mediterranean and he's very, he's a very strong person. Like he comes from a very respected um, family background as well. He, he always used to tell me like um, how proud he was and, and, and my mum, but at this point, um, and I don't, because my mum's passed away and I was very, very close with my mum. So I don't want to sound like I'm, expressing the love for my dad more because it was different characters but um my dad was very encouraging always turned up to the football games with me and stuff like that why my mum was battling her demons and her trauma and stuff like that so they was very proud and obviously like when i become a dad at 15 my mum's not happy was she not no because no. um yeah i'm a little boy i suppose still at that time was she a good grandmother yeah, 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 yeah. Very good grandmother. Very love, loved, loved the kids and loved us. But do you know sometimes when you're brought up in a household where their childhood they wasn't shown love, so they don't know how to express it. Like me, because I wasn't shown love, I express it to all my kids like hundred and ten percent. So some people just don't know how to do it. So the love wasn't shown, but we knew we was loved. If that made if that makes sense. So yeah, they was very very proud of me. Obviously, when I my dad was um, more disappointed in s sometimes how my attitude could be or my behaviour and things like that. 
but because of what he's going through in the sense of losing a son, trying to keep the household together, he hasn't got, and he's Mediterranean, he's illiterate, he comes from a old school background, he's 84 years of age. So the support wasn't there in the sense of somebody to talk to and be like, well, I'm going through this, I'm feeling like this, and this is why I'm responding like this, or this is why this is happening and things like that. Yeah, so. So having a child at such a young age then, you, obviously you're going to be really happy and like you got this family now, but is it a bit stressful as well, the hours and the getting in and up in the night and all that stuff? Um, do you know what? I just loved it, to be honest. Yeah. My daughter, like, she's 21 now, and I'm a granddad as well, so... Even the nappy changing? Yeah, yeah, everything. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I just... I no just, one loves nappy yeah, changing. Yeah. I just loved it. Green but baby poo. Even to get up with the, all my kids, even to, oh. to this day, I'm just happy to play yeah. that dad role, to be honest with you, and give them that love. Yeah, so, great. yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a blessing in disguise, and I, mm-hmm. I think even though what happened later on with my life and certain circumstances, I believe if I didn't have my daughter at that time and I didn't have the football, it would have been... She was a bit of a saviour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one million percent. So that was always um, my pain now and my trauma and my struggles is now turned into to love. Still lost and confused because I'm only mm. 15 and I'm still going through a lot of things. But the main goal was just to, to um, show her the love and... And be a good dad. What was the next challenge that arose? So I'm 15 now, so I'm still I'm still in the area, still both. Do you know what? It wasn't even just Peck and Bermondsey. I used to loiter around all areas, and I was just cool with everybody. It wasn't ever like, and it's not even something to be proud about or glorify or nothing. But if you were somebody from there. I would have knew you or I would have knew somebody of somebody. So yeah. it was always, wherever I went, I was blessed. I was always, yeah, it was always a friendship kind of kind of thing. So growing up um, from 15, I've then left Gillingham. I mean, I left Millwall and then I signed the three-year scholarship for um, Gillingham. So then I'm back and forward from Kent to Peckham and my attitude was just totally wrong. Like my whole professionalism, my outlook on my career. And instead of staying up in Kent where I should be going to sleep at a certain time where I should be getting your rest, getting your rest, (laughs) should be following the protocol of becoming a professional. I still had this kind of me against the world kind of attitude, which it never was. I was just confused and lost and didn't have no guidance. But yeah, so I was doing really, really well at this stage football. So I'm training with the reserve team. I'm playing for the reserve team, training with the first team. And yeah, but prior to that, some important bits that I haven't mentioned. So when I was like 13, where my football career was always getting, making progress, I got scouted by Man United. Wow. Yeah. um, And England schoolboys. Wow. And I was doing really good. I was always playing for the, like if, you grow up in a certain area like Peckham, Brixton or these areas, you've got um, a district. So it always levelled up. So South London district. Then I went to play the best players from the district plays for inner London. So then I played for inner London and I was just getting scouted from all over the place. So yeah, my football career was going good, but me as a person, I wasn't developing like 
how I should be nor somebody that's come from a structured background yeah mm. so I was still playing football but coming out going raving in the burning the candle of, at both ends yeah 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 kind of like that so it was a, but then it all comes down to the guidance and support because there's no chance my kids are going to be out on the road when they've got a career and a future ahead of them do you know what I mean yeah. so that's a big thing what it come what it comes down to so after that so we just that so we've moved and I'm at Gillingham now career's going career's going good but my attitude is can I swear yeah. Yeah. yeah my, YouTube, YouTube yeah. rule is first five minutes, we can't swear. Oh, okay. Fuck shit, bollocks. Yeah. So my attitude yeah. was shit. And, and you know, everybody's saying to me, even at this point, look, you're going to make it. You just need to fix up. But when you're a YTS or a scholarship, you have to clean the first team's football boots. Like, you know, the players that are playing in the first team, you have to clean their boots after training pick up the equipment where I was finishing training and everyone's cleaning the boots. I'm like, I've got this. I'm not, what am I cleaning your boots for? You clean your own boots. So it was kind of ignorant, but it was kind of that thing being told what to do again. And it was that I'm going to rebel against that. I'm not coming here to clean boots. I come to play football, but you, when you want to become a professional and this is for any young person out there that are trying to make it, you have to be dedicated. You have to be committed. You have to show professionalism. You've got to, you've got to understand your craft and leave everything that whatever's going on in your life. You have to leave it on the side and emerging to becoming this professional and being successful. And with me, with the lack of guidance, it, it wasn't that. I was just, yeah, I was very, very, um, very lost as a as a as a young man. Good point. I mean, people think success happens overnight, don't they? Mm. They don't see so you got to sweat blood for years behind the scenes to get yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that journey from football, and then um, I've met a girl. We're together, going through that journey, that chapter, and I've got my daughter as well. So every everything's everything's going good in that sense, but still my my character in the sense of making this really happen it was kind of half-hearted mm. yeah so i'm at gillingham 17 18 um i'm playing for the um reserves training with the first team doing really good and everyone's saying look just sort sort your attitude out be a bit more committed like don't turn up to training late and these sort of things and you're going to get a chance but um in the end i didn't take it that serious I didn't take it serious enough where to the fact I started losing faith in my ability and I was very talented, but because of, <clears throat> because of the lifestyle that came with it, I'm not putting in that hundred percent work ethic and it's really backfiring on me now. You can't move a newborn or young child. Yeah. 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 No, I broke up with my kid's mum when my daughter was one. So, one. Okay. Yeah. So 16, we parted ways. Yeah. Did so, you have much involvement? Yeah, yeah. Always forward. been always always been there um for my daughter. Um, she's my best friend and we she's twenty one. She's I'm a granddad so, and we're your really, granddad? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit. So I got a I got a one year old um granddaughter. How old are you? Thirty six. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm 33 and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've got four kids. So yeah, I've right. got wow. two girls, two boys and um, a granddaughter. Yeah, yeah, so um yeah, that that was that period from through Gillingham and um sorry, I've lost my train of thought. What was the <laughs> yeah, so you, you you have got you've moved in with a new woman. Yeah. I assume you're living with this new woman. No, no, you? just teenage stuff. All right, you're just yeah, dating yeah. a new woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're still doing the football, but your demons are like getting. Yeah, yeah. They're like, like controlling your behaviour, kind of. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. suffering. Do you know what? It's um something that um happened later on in life, but from young, when I look back at, it, I was struggling with my mental health from a very, very young age, and I was suffering in silence. And it's only as I got older. I really understood and I was going through certain things and I'm trying to understand why is this always happening to me? Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like that negative mindset of always feeling, yeah, not... not Mental health is a very, very difficult thing to explain because it doesn't come with a colour, it doesn't come with a race, religion, none of these things and it can happen to absolutely anybody. And now I know as an adult going through the mental health system and stuff like that, what I'll speak about being sectioned. And I was going through this from early from, and no one, no one really understood it. And this is why everything around me kind of collapsed. How did that manifest then the collapse? What was the first things that happened that went wrong? Just in the sense of, the, um, from, um, recognizing it from being young. A word from our sponsor. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with the MS-13 in El Salvador? Or how the Russian mafia came to Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or why some Swedish gang members love to throw grenades? If you've enjoyed my stories of hanging out with the New Mexican mafia, cartel members, Italian mafia, you will love the Underworld podcast. It's a show about organised crime all over the world from the first gang lords to the current kingpins. Hosts Danny Gold and Sean Williams are investigative journalists who've worked all across the globe covering the most insane crime stories, from interviewing cult gangs in Nigeria to chasing meth barons through the Burmese jungle, and way, way more. Mixing in thorough research and some of the best gangster history in recent memory. They're bringing you a new episode every week. We're talking Taliban, triads, warlords, drug lords and scammers from Brooklyn to Beijing and far beyond. If you want to dive deep into the criminal underworld with two journalists who have reported on it all over, give it a listen. The Underworld Podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The link will be in the description box below this video. So, as a young person, like you're starting to slip on your work ethic, yeah, in the football, yeah. yeah. But I imagine something's going to happen now. Something's going to it's going to manifest, yeah, isn't yeah. It? Exactly. So I'm yeah. more like, if you know, you know. But what you think and feel and you put out there will come back to you like a boomerang. So imagine growing up through this events all through my life, the depression, the sadness, the pain, the trauma. That's all I'm thinking about. Or I'm worried when I get home, is my mum going to be okay? And do you know what I mean? Is everything all right in the household? So it was always, I was always, never been scared of anybody. 
but I was always scared if that makes does that make sense yeah, yeah. like Inside, internally, like I was always on edge, always anxious, always worried about what's going to happen the next move, the next thing to go wrong. But yeah. it was in home. As mm. soon as I came out, this stuff didn't exist no more. But when I was on my approach in home, I was like always nervous, anxious, like who's going to be at the house and and things like that. When you were playing football, did it help you forget about it for a moment? Yeah, that yeah. that that was my that was my escape route. Is is the football and being around Peckham with my friends playing football in the States, other estates playing other estates. That sports was the escape. Mm. So yeah, it was um it was very like um it's hard to understand at the time, but as I've grown older and I'm aware of my myself, I know myself better, I understand like the effects of what I was going through, the mental health, the depression, the anger, the trauma is what led to life just collapsing. Do you know what I mean? And that's why it's so important for a young person, an adult, anybody, like don't suffer in silence, like speak out, have a voice, and there'll always be someone to listen to and you can release your expression, your pain. So, yeah. What happened when it started to collapse then? So my relationship um, started to deteriorate with, with my girlfriend at the time. And obviously that's like kind of like the first love and I was with her for five years. So with my character and the way I was feeling, the relationship didn't work. And at this point, um, I'm playing for Gillingham, doing really well, but I've gone out um, on a night out and get it, got into a situation with somebody and ended up getting arrested for GBH, like two Section 18s. And, um, yeah, that was kind of the end of my career, to say so, like, permanently from Netflix, which I'll talk about now. So I got, I went on trial for um, two Section 18s. Are you able to say how that situation arose? Mm. Yeah, well, um, same thing, um, fighting, but it was never... It was never in the sense of, because I've never been one of these people to go out looking for fights. It's, if it happens, then it happens. But unfortunately, um, at this point, I'm out, went went out um, raving and then ended up getting into an altercation with someone and then just had a fight. The guy ended up um, breaking his jaw. Or he got a broken jaw and I got three years in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to... Um, I went to Crown Court and the judge gave me five years and he said, because it was two sec- Sorry. It was two Section 18s, but I got not guilty for one and I got guilty for my one. And, um, yeah, it was just... Um, after that, I got put in prison. The judge um, minimised it from five years to three years and I went... I went to prison, so my career now, Gillingham, they've released me. And, yeah, it's just going downhill. Which downhill prison were you there. in? So I first went to Highdown, and then uh, on the three-year sentence, and then I got um, shipped to Norwich, and then which was way away, and then I went to an open prison towards the end. Was it because of your age and what you've been through that he reduced it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was 20 at the time, and then as soon as I turned to 21, they put you to adult jail. Yeah. But that, that I suppose, 
as well as things still going wrong down the line, that kind of was the start of my transformation into learning, studying myself and getting the qualifications to be aware of circumstances and to avoid them. So whilst in prison, um, um, playing football um, and I s- remember I'm a professional footballer at this time, still in, in prison, even though I've been been released, I'm s- I've still got that status. So when I come out, I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to um, get straight back into football. That was the goal. But whilst playing football in there, they didn't give us the correct football boots and just give us trainers and it was raining. And I went in to do a turn while I was playing a match and I slipped and smashed my knee into a ledge, which I got a big scar all across there. And they took me to outside hospital and they said I would never play football again. Wow. So that was my career, career over. I was like an inch away from my leg being amputated. So that was another big, big struggle whilst in prison. So I was on a cast and crutches for six months whilst locked up. So it was a bit... It was a bit, um, that weren't easy. Do you know what I mean? Just getting through the sentence, being on a crutch. And Did you have to be in like a medical prison for that? Or are you in a regular no, prison? No, no, regular prison. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was in a norm- normal prison. Um, so what, they just strap you up and put you back out there? Yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. T- when, obviously when they had to do the op and everything, like I was cuffed obviously, to the bed yeah. um, and then there was in a medical hospital, but they brought us back to, brought me back to Norwich prison and it was just another inmate, so... Yeah. That's how it really went, and that journey was all right. Like there was, a, I, I started learning. I started. I done an ETS course, which is an enhanced thinking skills course. Um, I done an alcohol awareness course. I done a drug awareness. I done a called Sycamore which is a victim awareness course. I done a lot of things to develop myself as a person because I didn't want to keep living this um, unstable lifestyle, and. The goal was never to be here. The goal was to make it. So yeah, good on you. But prison was prison. That three-year sentence was was a good a good learning curve. I learned obviously first time in prison as well. So it's the unknown. You don't know what to expect. But never had any issues in in prison. Seen what was going on. Um, yeah, like I could give you an example for the YOs. Like there was um not mentioning no names but there was a inmate in there on the same landing and and this is for for the um young people as well never ever think that you're too bad because you will come across someone that's bigger and badder and will put you to the test so when i'm in there we gotta go down like the stairs in norwich it's like a kind of a school kind of setup and then you're coming up to, with your lunch and this other inmates always taking another inmate's food or taking his chicken, taking his vegetables. So I was like, this is crazy. Or beating, do you know what I mean? A lot of bullying and that, which mm. um, I always used to kind of, like I said from the beginning, I'd always like to stick up for people that were bullied. So I'd always give the guy my food, or if I had extra canteen, I'd give it to him and that. But that's that's really what it is sometimes. I've missed the fights about food in prison. Drug debts. Drug debts. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so no. so that was that. Then I um, went to an open jail which was good and I was working with disadvantaged young people with disabilities and yeah so So the guy taking the food did he get smashed? 
No, no, he never, he never. Do you know what? To be honest with you, he was my friend as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was the worst. That was the worst thing. But sometimes it's survival of the fittest mm. in there, isn't it? And or if you got gym in the morning, you think, no, I want an extra bit of chicken. Or it was when you look at it now, it's mad, but it is what it is, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's it's survival, isn't it? And some people have certain strategic ways to get through, isn't it? And it is what it is. But I was always one of the people that would um like to stick up for for my friends or. Were the guards all right with you, or were they dicks? <laughs> Do you know what? Majority of them were dickheads, but <laughs> a lot of them that, um, not even a lot of them, say like the PE, the sports or something like that, was was cool. There's good and bad in everybody, in it? So you can't tarnish everybody with the same brush, but... I'm not really respecting anybody that's locking me up, so I didn't really wasn't re- wasn't really too fond of them. You know. yeah, yeah. Got into a couple of things with a couple of screws. Well, that was in my last prison, but um, the last sentence. But what was it like getting released then from that first one? Yeah, it was um, it was a big it was a big thing, but a sad thing as well because n- remember I've only been playing football. That's all I know. I'm not academically strong. I've not got no qualifications and football was was the dream and the goal. So now when I'm getting released, I'm coming out to nothing now. Like I don't mm. know. I've never worked. I've always played football. So now I have to change um, my character and get into this normal walk of life because I thought I was going to make it and be successful and football was what was going to happen. So coming out, as much as it was a great feeling, obviously I'm in, I split up with my girlfriend at the time while I'm in prison. She's broke up with me, so um, yeah, I just come come back out, and yeah, it was good. I had support like from like Nick's from his where his TV. He used to come visit me in jail and make sure he supported me and made sure my family got up to see me and things like that. So I had the support system and friendships to come out to, but came out very confused and, mm. and lost. Did they have like vending machines with snacks in the visitation <laughs> room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, do you know? No, it wasn't even like that. <laughs> you don't know how important this is? We lived for visits. Yeah. Visits are like the, and then the, the snack machine. When you're eating fucking dog food all yeah. day. <laughs> That's the a Snickers or something is like gold. Yeah, well, you're trying to eat to... as much as you want. You, you <laughs> yeah. can get on the visit. Yeah, I went to yeah. An open prison once, and yeah. yeah, they had like a counter for snacks and stuff. So I gave the, the guards yeah, yeah. twenty yeah, quid. That's how it was where I was. It was a yeah. counter. Yeah. But, or that's on the visits, but in jail, obviously, they send the bag to your to your cell. Yeah. So um, coming out of coming out of jail was. Um, I need to find myself now. Like I'm, I'm going to have to get into work. I've never worked before. So what, you're about 22, 23 by now? Yeah, yeah, I'm 20. I, I come out, I've done, I've got three years. So I've done 15 months and then I came out on three-month tag. Mm. So, yeah, I'm now trying to find work and get into work and I'm working and same thing, it's always with me. Is And I've learned to change my ways but it's with authority and dictatorship and pointing the finger i was i didn't really know how to react or respond to it where you know some people if you say i'll walk over there and pick up that and they might be just saying there's no please thank you or nothing like the working thing never really worked out for me (laughs) i came out to joe and i was very like 
how am I going to do this? So then that's where I ended up starting to get involved in the road life and selling drugs and yeah, mm. so it kind of went down down that that road at that point. What was the actual job you were doing that you didn't like? So it was just labouring. Labouring. Yeah, like my friend, mm. my friend's dad had a construction company and mm. he was like, oh, I can give you some work and stuff like that. I tried it. Like, trust me, Sean, Jenny, I tried mm. the working thing and I I recommend the working thing for everybody. It's one of the most important things that you can do is work and provide for your family. But at this point in my life, um, I'm not capable to do it. So I ended up going down a different avenue, building lines and... Yeah, it was a um, big transformation from expecting to be a footballer, going to jail, now I'm on the roads. <clears throat> and as much as I've always been on the roads and I've always been connected with people that's on the roads from different areas, I've never been involved. I've just known people. Do you know what I mean? I've never gone, I didn't have no reason to, but now I have a reason to because I'm trying to work, keep getting fired. I need mm. to get money from my kids and for my daughter at this time and just to survive. So obviously I don't recommend it, not one bit, but I had to make that decision to survive and ended up, yeah, going on the roads and selling drugs and things like that. So Was it weed and coke? Yeah, so I've, um, I've, I've shot it hard food, like light and bee, then had a weed and, and coke line and things like that, so... What challenges arose in that lifestyle for you? Many, do you know what? It's many different things. And, and this, this is something that people should be aware of. And it doesn't matter what age group you are. This life, and I'm not knocking anybody. If this is the life that you're involved in and this is what you're about, then fair play. But for on a positive note of it, this life isn't, there's always drama. There's always trouble. There's always situations like, um, for instance, I'll give you an example. You could be making money and you could be trying to build a network of people, but you don't know how this is going to run. And at some point, he might snake you or he might not pay you or trying to avoid you. So there's a little couple of circumstances where um, I'm giving someone food, which is, it, was only an, it was only an ounce of um, coke, but... I'm giving it to him because he's broke and he needs to get money. And then in the end, he's taking my kindness for a weakness. Done the drugs? No, he's moving it, but he's mm. in debt with other people. So right. he's using the food to pay other people. So then when I'm phoning him saying, oh, yo, where's the money? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Phone me back, boom, boom. And then that's going on for days and days. And then I'm partnered up with my friend where I'm getting the food off. So obviously I have to pay him. So I'm on to my friend now. I've been friends for years. Wasn't my boy like that, but we knew each other for years. And then he's, he started getting a bit cheeky with my friend and he said something to him. And I said, look, need to get them. And we just turned up to his house, kicked off his door, found him under his bed. And this is for £1,000 mm. an ounce at this time is what it costs. So it's not worth it risking your freedom, your liberty, your creating beef with other people in this this is this is what comes with this lifestyle or for instance i had an issue with see this is something i was saying i didn't really want to because i'm not glamorizing it because it's nothing that i'm proud of but it is part of the story which i need to express as well but just for the viewers 
And for people to know I'm not glamorising this, not one little bit. But we got into a situation with somebody that there was a little problem with. And then the next minute, when you're involved in this life, me and my friend, we're on the road with we're on the road with the with the strap looking for this person. So I'm like I'm I'm on it, but really deep down I'm like I'm not even trying to catch no bodies. I'm not really, do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. I'm, I'm a good hearted person. I'm not trying to go down that road, but if it's an issue and you're involved in this lifestyle, you either deal with it or get dealt with. And, and that's ended up kind of nothing come of that rolling with a strap, but it was kind of, that's what comes with it. You end up looking for people and you're putting yourself at risk for t- minimum 10 years or five years with the gun. And it just doesn't make, um, any sense. So, a lot of a lot of problems come with that with that life, and it's not like I was making at this at this time making stupid money like a couple of grand here, hundreds here, grands there, and it wasn't really consistent. So, unless you're big time, you're not really gonna succeed in this in this life unless you've got everything patterned out, you've got a structure, and all that really. And this ain't for everyone because some people cut through and, and make make it happen, but you ain't going to cut through without some f- sort of form of drama coming with it, whether it's someone trying to rob you or the police or getting into problems, losing friendships. It just doesn't make sense. So yeah. that carried on, though, Sean, for a while, mm-hmm. in and out. So young people watching this, don't get gangsteritis. <laughs> gangsteritis. People have said on this channel, setting up dealing weed at my parents' house, next thing, they're in debt to the Albanians, and then it goes down, someone's yeah. eyeball gets taken out. Yeah. yeah, anything can happen. So that's a very important social message. Appreciate it is. you no, it is. emphasizing that. It's, it's, yeah. it's very important. So I'm in and out at this time. Um, I've always been conscious. I've always been like a... I've said it a few times now, but it's the facts. I've got a good heart, and I'm not trying to really deter or hurt people and affect their families. So I would always stop doing what I'm doing and try to get back into work. So I'm a qualified sports coach. When I've come out of jail, I've done um, a CSLA course, level two, where I can coach all sports. So I started getting back into football and I started to run, um, which is my passion, like um, training disadvantaged young people that's come from similar upbringings to my own. And I was running sports coaches going really, going really well and f- things are going positive for a year or so. Mm. And then little that stopped happening. Then I started get, doing football again. I become an under-18s coach, training um, young people. Same thing, disadvantaged background from gangs to struggles at home and just everyone coming for the sports. But then something happened that, that workplace I've left I've ended up getting back into the roads again and what happened yeah. I got into um one of the one of the staff members was like being very rude and aggressive to one of the young people and I ended up sticking up for the young person same story it's the same thing all over and then got into an issue with him and then yeah my contract got terminated so right. yeah so then now because all sports all I know I'm back in to um back into the roads mm. but at this before this i've just won an award for um london sports coach of the year wow yeah and something that i missed out when i came out of jail 
because I've got, oh no, I've, I've not even gone on to that bit, but yeah. So, um, yeah, I started um, winning awards and things like that. So when I've come out of, just to take it back just a little bit, and um, when I've come out of jail, like I said, tried to do the working thing, was doing it, getting fired, finding more jobs. But then I ended up um, going out one evening and was um, with a friend and his friend and sadly got into an altercation and um, I hit the guy, self-defence, and he dropped and died. Jesus. Yeah, so this is another event. I've only been out of jail six oh, months. It's a big now. event. Yeah, 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 very big event. And and when you say self defence, are you able to describe the situation that come about? Or um, it's it's something I don't really want to go. Okay, in. no worries. I don't yeah, want to yeah, dwell yeah, into. Yeah, but no it was just yeah. it was just one punch, and mm. um, yeah, I tried to help the person, but unfortunately was. Did he hit the ground quite hard then? Yeah, yeah. So. On that note, it's like, um, like I'm truly remorseful, and I'm I'm truly sorry that a family member had to lose a loved one. And regardless if it was self defence, it still happened. And and it's just a message if anybody was to see this that knows or knows somebody. Like I'm truly sorry from the bottom of my heart. And if I could change and turn the script around and make this never happen, then I would. And unfortunately, I can't. But I'm true, truly sorry because no one like if you've done me something, Sean, and I come to do you something, that's a different story. But when you don't mean to do something to somebody, and something happens, I've got a conscience. I, I'm not expecting to for somebody to lose their life. No, and this um is something I've had to live and I live with every day, and it's yeah. It's just, I'm just really sorry that you can truly it, see how remorseful you are. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. really speak about it. It's something that um, I don't really talk. Not even with my friends. It's um, it's something I have to deal with on a day to day basis. But it's it's something where I'm extremely sad about, and I just wish that I could have. I can't make things right, but I wish I could. Did you know right away what had happened, or was it in the hospital? Yeah, so I kind of knew straight straight away. Yeah, yeah. So did you get arrested then, right now? Yeah, so I got um, I got arrested and um, went to Belmarsh. So they put me in a um, high security prison, and I had to wait um, trial. So I've gone on to trial, and um, after a year in Belmarsh, <clears throat> ten eleven months, I've ended up um, getting acquitted. So I've done the trial for a week and I was telling my story, the events that happened and thankfully there was a witness that was watching and came forward and stuff like that. But um, Thankfully. What were you charged with that you got acquitted from? Yeah, so I got charged with murder. Um, and first. then, yeah, first I was charged with murder. Right. And then whilst in there and the more the evidence came forward, they dropped it to manslaughter. Okay. So I was I had to go in the old Bailey. I was on trial at the old Bailey um in two thousand and seven for um a manslaughter, yeah. Which got acquitted through self defence. Mm. 
How many days did the trial last? And did you have to speak on the stand for yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I think the trial lasted about a week. A week and a half, maybe. What's been shitting yourself facing like a big sentence like that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Because mind you, I've just come out for a section 18. So, and I've got a section 18 previously. So when you get three strikes, it's a straight life or IPP sentence. Aggravation, yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking, my solicitor is saying to me, I'm looking at like 15 years. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of just, can't believe this has happened, but in absorbing what's going on and mm. just have to accept it and hope and pray for the for the best outcome and the truth to be revealed. So, yeah. What is what's it like going through a trial? Um, it's it's quite intimidating to be honest. If you've never been, or especially the old the old Bailey, like the old Bailey is not a joke. That's some real old school dungeons. Like, it's, dungeons, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is, it is, mm. and um, yeah, it's it's not a nice it's not a nice feeling, but you just have to have to um, go through the process. Could you describe it a bit? What you're seeing when you go into the court, the old Bailey. Um, to be honest, the judge got his wig on and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, the wig. Then you got the jury, you got the box. Yeah, so it's just, it's just, it's a serious, it's a serious place. It's, it's not intense. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very intense, and it's not a place for anyone to be. Is Did he you... in the old Bailey Building? Has he been there? No, a few of the podcast guests have, but yeah. I, think, I think we had one escape from that, didn't? Didn't <laughs> was it Joey Barnett <laughs> jumped out, run out of her or something? Galling as well. Was it Yami escaped from somewhere? Blink. Blink. No, I think it was Joey Barnett, wasn't it? And a, a taxi driver run him over. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he escaped. And escaped he and they're, they're running after him down the street and the guards get in a taxi and they have the taxi driver run him over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, so if people want to watch that, Joey Barnett, it's on the True Crime playlist. I think we've done about two or three with Joey now. All right, so when you when you spoke on your own behalf, understand. Yeah. How did that feel? Was it like a lot of pressure? Yeah, no, it was um, it was terrifying. It was um, your your um, it's your life in your hands now, isn't it? So totally, yeah. If so, I say if I f up on the stand, yeah, yeah. It's but my, go this my way. thing was, and my, this is how I am in life in general. Like, if you be yourself, you be honest and truthful. Mm. You you ain't got much to worry about apart mm. from people seeing that you're being honest and genuine. So, yeah, it was just one of those things. I just, I was, um, yeah, I was happy to um, be released, but not happy, if that makes sense. It was a it was a strange one. You're in shock. What did the jury look like? Were they, like, studying you and everything? Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was proper, proper intense. It was like, you don't know what's going to happen or what they're taking in and th- things like that. But what, one thing I did do is I, I spoke up for myself, like, I, I spoke to the prosecution. I told I didn't just leave it to my barrister. I, I mm. told him like, go to this point on this page, and I, I proper like was fighting for my life. So what was your barrister like? Yeah, yeah, he was he was, was proper. Yeah, yeah, proper, right. proper, proper yeah. barrister. And um, it's it's one of them things. You're you're in this situation, but like anything, you got to fight for your life now, isn't it? So. Yeah, it was... Um, you become focused, don't you? Yeah, 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 proper. Yeah. Like, even, like, in the cells, like, just studying, studying, yeah, and just trying to see the light. 
But like I said, even though I got released, it wasn't like, oh, yes, I've jumped for joy, I've bus case, I'm happy. I'm, I never ever left there. And I left, I, as mad as it is, and a lot of people did say to me, like, you should be happy. But because somebody's lost a loved one and a family member, somebody's life's been taken, unfortunately, these, this happened. But that's how I left the prison system. I, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm free, but still not going to change things. Where were you when you found out you were acquitted? Where was I? Yeah. In the in the dock. So they tell you right away? Yeah, yeah. So they do. They, they go away for their summary, then they call you back up, put you in the dock, and then they're guilty or not guilty. Right. Yeah. So how did that feel then, just to hear that? Like I said, it, it's... Um, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. Mm. It definitely is bittersweet. But it's one of them things where I've got, I've got, I've got two options: be be an arsehole and be like, yeah, yeah, I've bus case and I'm free. Because was his family there of the guy? Yeah, yeah. So okay. then you're forgetting that somebody's family's been ruined, someone's life's been taken. So in my in my eyes, there wasn't no celebration, and there never will be. No. Yeah. What did you do when you got out? And what did you have a plan, or did you go back to the lifestyle? Yeah. So when I've come out of Belmarsh, I've started doing the working thing again. Like tried to just stay on the straight and narrow. And this is where what I was speaking about the awards come into play. So now I've got my qualifications from being in jail, the alcohol awareness drug awareness, sick and mortuary, all these different qualifications. My mission is what it's always has been is to try and make a difference in young people's lives. So I said, let me um, get back into the sports and I started doing um, motivational talks in youth clubs and there was a youth club in Peckham um, that was linked to the Damalola Taylor Centre called Eternal Life Support Centre and they had a studio and I was going to do the sports there was doing other like creative things for the young people in the area to deter them away from crime and stuff like that. So I was doing that and I was doing speeches and telling my story and that was going really well. And I won, I won an award with them across all the boroughs called, um, inspirational young, inspirational young person, unseen, unsung heroes award. So I won that. And yeah, I was really on the positive path doing, doing really well. And, like I explained with the under 18s I was managing, then that happened. I was doing this for a few years after coming out of jail. And then now I've lost my job. I'm just back to square one because now I'm not looking for a job. And I'm I'm thinking, F the world. Like, I'm trying so hard to stay on the straight and narrow and keep face to these obstacles. And yeah, so then back on the road, shot in. And yeah, it's just... Just went a bit um, pear shaped for for a little while, in and out. But it was always been in and out. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't anything that I've inspired to be some drug dealer or want to be some big kingpin or want to just make it from this world. My goal was to make it from doing righteous things. So, were you taking any of the drugs? No, no. no. Well, weed. I smoked. I smoked weed, but yeah. any other drugs I've never really took. In. Yeah, okay. yes. My brother died from sniffing gas so my dad always embedded in us like no drugs like whatsoever mm. from a very young age yeah mm. so that 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 was um that was that point um of doing really well and then it collapsing again so 
yeah so back on back on the road again and i'm just building lines just trying to survive and just just get get through life at this point again as well as my um mum still battling with her addictions which gladly she become alcohol free and things like that so yeah it was um how old are you at this point so at this point i'm around 20 24 25 yeah so once i've come out of jail i'm just on the straight straight and narrow for a couple of years and then back on to back onto that what triggers the next collapse um like i said i'm always trying to do the right thing but i'm faced with obstacles which many of us are but at this point i'm still i'm grown but i'm immature if that makes sense i'm in my mid-20s now but i've still not found myself or my purpose I don't think you grow up to in thirties, So yeah, that that was um that period of coming out of um of jail and doing good and obviously that case happened. So it's now this is where the um mental health kicks in. So where this has taken place in my life and it's I've not just it's happened and then I'm like, all right, cool, that's, it is what it is. It's not, these things happen. I'm living with this now on a day-to-day basis and always feeling down and feeling sad about the person's family and do you know what I mean? So I was never staying focused on my own well-being. I was always just slowly deteriorating in the emotions of it and getting trapped in the psychological warfare of but if and what if and do you know what I mean? Did so, you ever think about seeking help at any point? Do you know what? I've always been told like to seek help, but I've never ever seeked any like therapy or anything like that through anything I've had to go through. So it's always been kind of me trying to work it out and, and battle it kind of thing like that. So, yeah, that happened. And then in 2000 and 2009... Um, it was kind of like a breakdown, but if you understand the science behind it in the sense of this spiritual warfare, I'm, my sister's going through something, now I'm going through something, but this is kind of like a, without to speak out of context or people to be like, oh, that's a bit mental. It was a spiritual attack, in it, in my opinion? And... Yeah, this was go- I was going through this. My sister ended up going through something about my brother, and then she's gone mad. Like she's just lost the plot. I'm losing the plot at her. Like, what are you talking about? She's saying, "Yeah, bro, my brother's alive." Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like losing it on her. And this is why this thing is real. And this is why it's so important. Mind who you cross your energy with, and mind who you spend your time with, and your surroundings, because she's going through what she's going through and she said to me please just give me a hug yeah so to try and calm her down she's my big sister i love her i've given her a hug so then we're hugging and then she's like just breathe with me i'm breathing breathing we're holding on to each other tight and bang i'm mad now so one minute i'm normal triggering each other then no, it just transferred. It's, like, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a thing. And Dr. Das, we had Dr. Yeah. Das on, he, yeah. and he described um, 
the mechanism, I can't remember it exactly, but there's also a program called Madness in the Fast Lane where those two sisters, they're feeding off each other and they just run into traffic. Have you seen it? No. And so they're, they're just they're pushing like, energy between yeah. each other. Well, yeah, do you know what? I don't like really like to talk about this too much because there's so little understanding to it. Oh, definitely. And I don't want to come across like I don't know what I'm talking about or I'm talking nonsense. Yeah, but talk I'm, to Dr. Das. It's like, there's, there's a word for it. I can't yeah. remember what it is. Oh, there's Puff of Madness and there's another one where the two people we feed off each other. Week. He's coming in a couple of weeks or so. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so this has happened at this So you've point. got that energy then. Yeah, like, point, yeah. No sleeping for days. Like, I've got money as well, like, a few grants here and there and that. So, my, we're so gone, far gone, and I'm I'm on this, um, I want to be nice and kind. So, I started withdrawing money out of the bank, giving money to everyone, like, 50s, 20s. Like, this was going on for days. And my sister was like, believe me, trust me, we're going to be millionaires. Anyway. That's another story, but <laughs> yeah, it just went, went pear shaped from there. Then was on the road for days and then ended up, the police ended up getting called because I ended up doing a nutty one in a calf. Like, I'm acting strange, isn't it? So mm. obviously people are going to be staring at me, isn't it? And I've just spazzed out in the calf and then, yeah, they called what, the police. just start shouting? Yeah, yeah. Was, wow. Lost it in there. So. The police got called and, yeah, me and my sister got got sectioned straight away, like straight to the hospital. What's that like then? Did they put you on meds right away and stuff? Yeah, so obviously I don't know what's going on at this point and I'm still... And you know what? This is something that I want to talk about for the viewers, yeah? If you can see somebody or know somebody that's going through a mental breakdown or an awakening or a spiritual warfare attack no matter what it may be don't ever judge that person don't ever tell them that they're crazy or they're mad or they've made this up because you don't know what the person actually experienced and felt and it might seem crazy to the somebody that's never been through this but this stuff is real and i'm living proof of this like it's not it's not a joke and it's a it's a very very real thing yeah so once i'm gone in the police station and you know what? Something I've never spoke about, and I'll quickly mention it here. At this high level frequency or spiritual warfare or awakening or however, whatever terms you want to put it in. And I'll only say this once and it is what it is. It's my truth. At that point in time, me and my sister are actually communicating with each other without communicating. She's in the car, police car, and I'm... Yeah, so my, wow. my, yeah, so we're mm. kind of on a powerful thing or power vibe is reading each other's minds. Yeah, like in the sense of like I would say something outside the car, and then I said, "Go tell my sister to repeat what I said," and she would, she no possible she could hear me, and then she would repeat exact same. They said, "Yeah, boom. it's more common among siblings. That's why they, they the documentary Twins. I watched it was two sisters." I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So ended up getting section taken to the Morsley. South London Morsley, which is a well-known psychiatric hospital, and they've put me in a room. So remember, I'm lost and confused. I think I'm Superman. I've got this extreme amount of energy and power within me that I'm thinking I'm that guy in it. Like no one's messing with me. It doesn't matter if you've took me. So I'm in the hospital room 
behind a glass window. And I'm on this level of this hyperactive energy and I'm saying, come in, like all of you, come. Like I'm ready, <laughs> innit? So I'm thinking, what's going on? Like no one's coming in. So I'm just acting how I'm acting. Then bang, just hear boom, boom, boom. They've just come with the shields, the, all the body kit. It's like, like I've seen it in prison, innit? When they come for you, call men in black. So when they turn up, they turn up. They're not coming to talk. So I'm thinking, all right, cool. They've come in and I've just run to attack them. They just got me, put me on the floor and injected me. Wow. Three times, yeah. In the bum. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so it was, that was another traumatic. And I say it like that because yeah. those that know has been through that, it's not a nice experience getting held down and your trousers pulled down and injected. Like it's a serious, it's a serious thing. It's not a joke. Mm. So the next thing I found myself on the ward. Yeah. So. So you woke up on the ward. Yeah, woke up on the ward. Yeah. What went through your mind? <sighs> See, I'm still in a in a high level state of mind, so I'm I'm still flipping out in there, mm. and there's some real nutters in there. That's what made not nutters misunderstood people um that's what made me wake up and be like do you know what i'm not even like these lot these lot are fully got some serious struggles going on and mine's a lot different to them like for example i'm just talking about my brother and just talking about more righteous spiritual stuff where these ones are talking about yeah i've just robbed the queen and i just robbed david beckham <laughs> And it was just, yeah, it was nuts. I was like, I need to get out of here. And like another example, say for instance, even to this day, I've never ever been on medication. Like apart from being in the hospital, like, I refuse to take it. And I prefer to study and learn more about myself and my human behavior and things like that and psychologically try to better myself. So I've never been on medication. But in there, where I kind of had that aggression in the sense of I was just angry in there, you have to take your medication. So anybody that knows about the system, you have to go to the hatch and then they give you your tablets every day or two times a day. And it was happening to me and I was like, do you know what? I don't want to be doped up and I know people that's been juiced up and they've come out and they've never been the same. So my thing was, do you know what? How am I going to... I'm always like that from life. I'm always trying to be think a step ahead or how I can put myself in a better position from the opposition if that ma if that makes sense yeah so i'm going up to the hatch and i'm like being more aggressive like give me it and i'm putting it in my mouth so they have to search your mouth and things like that but a couple of times i was so like sorry have you ever hit it yeah 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 so i'm so angry and on this high level of energy i'm going up there and i'm like give me the medication i'm putting it and they just want rid of me at the hatch. They <laughs> they don't want no more. I just take the medication and go. So one time I took it out of my mouth and there was a guy from Peckham, um, a white guy who was in there for like alcohol issues or whatever. He was on them. He, like, he loved them, innit? He was just popping them, like trying to get everyone's on the, on the ward. So I gave it to him and I sat in his cell with him. And I said to myself, like, what are they really trying to do to me with this med? And he was take, he took it. Five, ten minutes later, he was looking at the window. of It's, cause it's like a cell, isn't it? And he's like, Daniel, come here. I said, what's up? He's like, look in that skip. Can you see the horse? <laughs> so I said, this guy's lost the plot. 
I've come over, I've seen, look, there's no horse, go sit down. And he's like, nah, like proper. So obviously the meds that they were giving you was doing the next sort of shit to you that was taking you to see stuff that wasn't even there. And then I said, come away. He sat down and then within five minutes, he was knocked out completely. So from that day forward, I never, ever took the medication in the hospital. And I got released from the hospital with not being medicated. So it was um, it was a scary situation. But I think anything in life that anybody goes through, you have you have to be able to adapt to it. And you can't you can't let nothing defeat your purpose, your being in existence. You always have to find a strategy, a way, a plan to defeat whatever you're going through to come out on top. So that was always my mindset. Like I need to get out of here. I've got my kids and things like that. So that was um that was another experience that played a big a big part in my kind of mental health never being the same from that. To get out, do you have to like are they watching your behaviour and then they decide on your behaviour, is that how it works? Yeah, so you're on the you're on a wall together and there's I don't know, fifteen, twenty people, different people. And then they, you go for reviews. So I went for a review and I ended up coming out after three weeks. Yeah, so after three weeks being in there, I ended up getting released. But I was released I was released unwell and it was it was the fact that I was very unwell and um Nick's was always he was one he's my like childhood friend and he's my brother and he's always been there with me and he's experienced like the things that so I'm going not to mention any names but I'm going around some serious serious people like do you know what I'm saying and I'm I'm like we've gotten there and obviously I'm still in this high level state of mind and I'm like saying to him Nick's get the strap call my man call this one get the guns or get the guns I was going mad so I got released being severely unwell and it was only a couple of olders from my um area or people that grew me like was like look Daniel and took care of me and tried to make me see sense of things and yeah but I was very very unstable even coming out how was your sister at that point when you came out so we're both sectioned at this time so I've got put into Morsley and she got put into Lambeth Hospital which is in Brixton and um, she got sectioned for like an extra three weeks yeah so like I said I've come out being unwell the day I came out I went straight to Brixton and was trying to get her out so I'm the police yeah it was all mad so <sighs> the police came yeah so she was she was um, struggling but it all stems down from the childhood the death of my brother and the impact that it had had on our lives so yeah that that was that was that scenario and came out and what happened after Mosley yeah just straight back on, on back the on the roads again yeah 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 and the, the, the saddest thing is not it's not something that I wanted to do it just felt like I had no other choice because I didn't know anything or I couldn't do any other things that I was good at and the stuff I was good at it always fell apart so back on the roads again and just picking up food and building lines and yeah just living that kind of reckless lifestyle 
what was the next drama that happened or major incident in the lifestyle? So um, that's um, 2009. And then I've won the awards because um, I kind of told a bit of the story ahead of the, sorry, ahead of the time. So, yeah, we'll just go back. That, so then I've started winning the awards and, and doing good things. And, yeah, that, that was that. And then I started to... Um, trying to find a girlfriend and build a family, so I'm meeting people. And then, a few years um, later, I've had a child. So my son Jack, who's now eight years of age. Um, yeah. So that all slowed down. Um, Jack that, into football. Yeah, yeah. Jack's into football. Yeah, yeah. yeah he loves it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's um, he was a big turning point in my life as well because. Uh, like I said, I love my kids and I live for my kids. And the the most important thing about being a parent is being there for them. And I didn't want to go down that same road and routine that I've um, been going through and doing. Like, it's, and it's not really me to be honest with you. It's just sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And yeah, so I've got a girlfriend now and my son, and then I'm just living that um, family life that relationship ends up breaking down after a few years. I have another child with her as well. So I've got two kids with her and then she's moved to Sheffield. So where she's originally from and then I've moved up there. It's not really working out. Then I'm back in, back in London. So then going, going through that stage. So we're, um, we're in 2000 and say, Let's say, so let's just move to like 2013. So it's just been the same process. From same cycle. Same cycle. Yeah. So then I've got my son and then that's not worked out. But at this point, I'm no longer, after being on the roads, whatever money I accumulated, I now invested into clothing. So I start, I set up an online store because this life isn't, this shot in life, and I told you in the beginning that, what it comes with is not worth it. So it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. No. It's not sustainable. And if 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 you can if you can sustain it, there's very few mm. that make it out and, and without any. And even if you make it out, there will be problems along with it. So it's not something I ever wanted to be involved with long term. So I started to build an online store, which I still have to this day. And, What's it called? Um, Smoking hot trends. Really? Yeah. yeah. I own organic cotton clothing. Oh, okay. Oh, so wicked. Organic. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of Depop? Yes, Depop. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got two stores on there. I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. where I sell designer clothing, vintage, retro, like no, all, different, all different <laughs> pieces of men's and women's clothing. So that was my next avenue. I've got my kids now. I don't want to be part of that life. I want to stay free, have no dramas. So that's going well. Ended up breaking up breaking up with her coming back to Peckham and I ended up getting a shop on Rail Lane where I was then now selling clothes but at this point I'm still I'm slightly getting back in the mix mm. of things like I don't know you know sometimes you're just in and out or you're just trying to achieve some goals that possibly ain't even reachable but you're trying so um, yeah that that was that at that point and yeah, just trying to always be positive at, at this point and trying to be successful and having a vision to 
become something or somebody. Do you know what I mean? So that that was the goal. So was your mental health calming down at that point? Do you know that this the men the mental health has been ongoing for years. Mm. Like the heart the hardship has I've always had to. That's why my charity organisation is called Back on Your Feet because I was always getting knocked down and I'm like oh, I need to get back on my feet. So that that's where it's always been the same and it got better at a point but remember I've still got no understanding of what I've gone through so those that um, don't have no understanding of mental health or what makes these things happen you can be lost forever mm. but I've just slowly tried to gather enough information as I can I had the right friends and people around me um, like I mentioned Nick's and I've got he's like a big brother that was looking after me from a young child um, Super, who's got a rap group called WBD, and Uni from Unit Ten, which is they're the um, pioneers, the founders of the UK rap, where everyone was going to like all the different gang members or from a certain area, going to make their music there, and that's my people from child and my brother's best friend and things like that. So they always took care of me and tried to give me words of advice, and that's how I kind of was getting over the mental health, but always there, always, mm. always in the process of like um, one wrong move, I could kind of lose all sense of direction mm. and just lose it. But that was never the goal and always trying to sustain myself. So after 2013 then, was there any more police trouble? So 20, 2013, I've never had any other issues. Since... since um, since 2005, which I got found guilty for, I've never been in trouble with the police apart from, sadly, that guy passing and I'm so, so sorry about this and I wish it was never at my hands. But especially because of that, I learned an even more valuable lesson and it taught me so much um, eye-opener things that, you know what, if you move like this, this is going to happen. Or if you hang with this person, that's going to happen. So I've always deterred myself away from crime and not so much the road stuff but the violent stuff or or not 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 even violent stuff because that's not really what it was it the um frustration and confusion yeah so there wasn't no police stuff after that it was more just trying to be positive and trying to just make some money or do the right thing at some point what led to you starting your charity so the the charity the charity side of things comes from something that I've always been passionate about. Like I've um from a young person, I've always gave to people that's less fortunate. Even though I'm coming from poverty, I'm coming from a broken home. If I see a homeless person on the street, and especially like there was always a certain group outside the Peckham McDonald's. So even being like young 10, 11s, 12s, I would always go and buy them burgers and chips. So it was always in me. But the, um, and this happened through period, all through my life. I was always a giver, especially to vulnerable people. That, that was something that I always liked to empower people that's in a less fortunate position. And I used to do the same with my daughter and um, make her give the money or the food to the people. And it's always been that process. And then, my um remember because the back on your feet charity isn't just for homeless people it's for anybody that's vulnerable anybody that's dealing with mental health trauma 
addictions and stuff like that because like I said in the beginning my auntie um, Doreen passed away with a heroin overdose then I had uncles aunties that have um, my dad's brother committed suicide through cocaine then I've got my other uncle who later passed through speed and so oh, it was always deaths in the family which um all drug related are they all yeah. drug related yeah. and it's something I said to myself do you know what I want to help make a difference in these people's lives and my cousin died in 2007 he was only 27 years of age and he died of um, homelessness and drug addiction and alcohol abuse so um, and mental health so from and he was one of my closest cousins as well and I, because of certain circumstances I wasn't in the country mm. um, I couldn't go to his funeral so that was um, something I said to myself do you know what at some point in my life I'm definitely for the for the sake of their existence and you know like if they had somebody that they could have spoke to or they um, could have turned to somebody in a time of need they might still be here today or if they had that support system they might have made the better choice or decision to pull themselves out of the hole so that, that that's how this really come about but it was lockdown that I started it so in in lockdown I started um, on the 15th of October last year and before before that um, before the charity um, in 2020 um, so there's a bit of a because you know what let me let me tell you um, a different side of this the story or the structure um, so as I'm turning my life around, I'm trying to do positive things. Um, my daughter's ended up coming to live with me when she was 16. So she was living with me for a year. And my dad had Alzheimer's from 2008. So my sister was his full-time carer for 10 years. So, and like I said to you from the beginning, my dad's like the stronghold, the keeper of the family. And it, I was like his part-time carer, always supporting my sister. So if we put the periods of the in and out, when I'm out, I'm taking care of my family as well as trying to do the right thing. And my dad come to live with me. My sister, after 10 years of devoting her life to and looking after her kids, my dad, she said she can't do it no more. And I ended up taking my dad and he was living with me for a year. So I become his full-time carer of looking after him. And he's he's at the stage of 10 years of having Alzheimer's. So I'm washing him, I'm cleaning him, feeding him, giving him... He can't do nothing for himself, and it basically just walk up and down. But And that, that took a big, big effect on my mental health as well because anybody that knows about Alzheimer's or dementia or somebody that's had a family member, it's the longest goodbye. Mm. And you're slowly watching them deteriorate day in, day out. And my like I said, like there's no there's no one better than each other without my parents because I loved them equally the same. But my dad was that guy that he was very respected in his community, his Maltese community, he was a very respected person around everywhere like so to see such a strong individual lose their way 
lose their self and become a child, it was very hard for me to look after him for that whole year. But I did it and was proud to do it. But during this point, I'm not seeing my kids because I've got no support at this point. My sister can't, she's had enough, she just needs to focus on her. So I'm not seeing my kids. But then I made a decision from having him from January to December to take my dad back and I now need to focus on. Much I love my dad, my kids are the most important in this world. So that ended up happening. Um, sadly, my dad passed away in 2020, um, February the 15th. And yeah, that just... Um, yeah, that broke that broke my spirit, if to say the least. Like it was, um, yeah, it's 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 like um, I don't know. It's kind of like your king, your master, your god, your your everything, can it? The person that, if it wasn't for you, God knows what would have happened at that time in childhood and stuff like that. So it was very, it was very um, a very difficult time, and. Because of that happening, my mental health's deteriorating. Mm. Um, I'm not focused. I'm thinking different. I'm behaving different, and I end up um, getting sectioned again oh. last year. <sighs> last so, year, what, during yeah, the yeah. lockdowns. During during the lockdown, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no. Twenty was was lockdown. Yeah, it was yeah, lockdown. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So twenty twenty June. So my dad died in February, and then. Because of the, I've not even I, I've not even dealt with anything from my childhood, let alone what's coming in my life yeah. every so often or whatever. So when my dad's passed away now, like I'm, I'm kind of reverting back, but not knowing it in the sense like my attitude's changing, my vibes is changing. I've not got the same purpose or goal. I'm just in a dark, dark place, and which is understandable because. If you anybody that's lost a family member, mum, dad, it's 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 not an easy thing, and it's it's something that you have to either be prepared or aware of how you're feeling and your character, your change, your the mood and your shift, and like, do you know what I mean? So I ended up not being in control of whatever I was going through, but I'm not always going to put it down to mental health breakdown because it's certain people that I'm around at that time. And this is just my theory of it. Like other people can have whatever opinion they want. But same thing again, instead of calling it a breakdown, I'll call it an, a breakthrough mm. for me and an awakening. But same thing again, I kind of felt like I was under a spiritual attack and it was like I was on some psychological warfare. I was not to go too deep into things, just to kind of break it down for those that don't know. Like in this where we are, this is the 3D. We're in the 3D dimension. And we can we can ascend to the fourth, the fifth. And you can see things. And this is just my opinion. I don't want people to think I'm talking out of context because I'm talking about my own personal experience. So when you ascend to a certain level, you can now become in tune with stuff that other people can't visualize or kind of hear or like an open-air message kind of thing. So I'm going through this process, and not many people know this, but this is something I believe that happened to me. And where it was happening, and I wasn't, I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't know anything about these levels or what's going on, 
it was too powerful for me and it was very like it was very scary it was um it was a very scary situation and i ended up being on the road um like at this point i'm gone i'm going into shops taking what i want like i was just doing random steal the postman i took his took the postman's bag off of him like you know like find anything nice <laughs> no, bar do, people's bills no do you know <laughs> this, this, this is, no this is the thing yeah. it's not even like I'm taking it to rob it or go through it I'm just taking advantage of this higher level state of being that I'm in this is just my views of what happened isn't it so I can only say it as it is and tell mm. my truth so that that was happening and then yeah I was just putting a couple of people under pressure that wasn't expecting it and now when they understood like right he's lost the plot like he's just so that ended up that ended up happening and then i found myself on i was in broccoli mm. which is southeast london close proximity of peckham lewisham like that sort of area dulwich forest hill and um yeah the police got called because i'm talking some mad stuff stuff that doesn't seem real or reality but in my eyes and how i was feeling <clears throat> it was my reality and it was i slowly learned which i'll talk about in a second sorry i just need to yeah, come yeah, like i said at the beginning all of daniel's links are in the description box below the video and nick's as well it is what it is tv yeah so that point where the police have been called. Now, I told you, like, I'm going into shops, I'm turning up to people, like, what's yours is mine, and if you've got a problem, I'm here in this state of mind, and it never came to a problem, but that's how I was moving with that kind of mindset. So the police obviously got called, innit? And they cornered off, like, say, like, um, Broccoli Raz, there's... um you come from one end turn around say just turn this way there's a long road that goes all the way up and then you can go to lewisham from that way they blocked off both corners of the road yeah two bully vans they had like six seven police surrounding me and they're like just calm down boom 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 calm down so every time they come to come near me i'm kind of going for them in it and they're not just saying it, they were terrified. Like, not with six, seven of them. Then another firm of them turned up and was like, just walked over to me. And this is the truth. And they violated what they should have been doing. But they all just went, boom, bow, 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 bow. Shot me in my chest here, my chest here, in my heart. Shot me with the tasers, by the way. <laughs> right, I was going to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so shot me here, here, in my heart well in my chest and one in my head a taser in your head yeah 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 this this is this what did is, that feel like this is what i mean because to some people that may hear the story will say yeah yeah whatever but those that know me i people that know me i ain't got no reason to lie i, I no. can only tell you my truth so yeah that ended up happening and then i just remember um feeling it collapsing to the floor and then i'm on the floor and i'm like 
if you're if you're this guy who you think you are and you're at this level, slow everything down and stand up. And then I just stood up and started pulling the things out of me. Yeah, and couple of the police run across the road there. <laughs> Run across the road. Yeah, then, <laughs> you got us going now. <laughs> yeah, no, this because you know, do you know what oh this is? God. This is a side of things that people don't really know about, and mm. I'm not ashamed to talk about it because I know the truth, isn't it? I know mm-hmm. what happened, and I know no one can say, "Oh, he's this, he's that, he's mad." Don't listen. I know what happened. It was facts, isn't it? So that ended up happening, and then they um they ran. <laughs> no, 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 no. So. When that's happened and um, I've stood up and a couple of them run, I got that final one and they just held it and I just collapsed. And then the last thing I know is um, being in cuffs and um, coming coming round in the bully van Mm. and then just straight kited off to, to the hospital. But these, this section was totally totally different like it was a very very high level battle if i if i say it like that yeah so yeah so when when you're in there then you said it was like a battle like a battle for you internally in your mind or a battle against the, the doctors and yeah the doctors everybody so i'm 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 still in i'm still in this um same same mindset so i'm high level thinking i'm thinking this one that one but once again i always pull myself around because i'm in a situation where there's i don't even like to call them nutters or there's people suffering with their psychological warfare or whatever they're going through they just don't have no understanding but it was like the first time i'm here i'm acting a certain way i've got this certain aggression with me no one's really on it with me. The doctors, they're kind of just staying out of my way. And then I'm seeing other people just acting super loopy. So mm. I said to myself, right, we're here again. Uh, we've got to strategize to get out again. So, But this time, this time there's no um, taking the medication out of your mouth. There's none of that. They, Why? They check. I've got two guys next to me like that checking so even if i tried to come with that kind of aggressive boisterous they wasn't having it and i know the deal you refuse you're getting injected so now because of the level that i've gone to i'm on 15 medication a day and a syrup a juice so i'm on i'm on this every single day and i'm just there i'm going through what i'm going through what did you feel like on it Gone. Gone. Yeah, gone, yeah. gone, like sleeping in my food and and things like that. But it it got it got to the stage where I said to myself, same thing it's always been. Survival, strategy, plan. You against me, I've got to try to win. And that's how I ended up I ended up getting sectioned a lot longer though. I got sectioned for six weeks this time. So the first time I got out first review, this time it wasn't um, a review to come out. They detained me for another three weeks. Mm. Yeah, and I came out, I still came out not all there again. It was just kind of strategizing a way to 
make them believe that I'm good to come out. And I just went in there and said, look, I understand I'm unwell and I need this medication. So there wasn't no battling and then they ended up letting me letting me come out. Yeah. So, yeah, that was um, that. was that. But there was some, like, it's sad. It's mental health and this is something, like, I'm very, very passionate about. Like, we all go through difficult times in our life, yeah? We're all faced with different challenges and different mishaps and we're all different people. But one thing we're all the same is we've got a heart, a soul, a mind, feelings and emotions. And that will never change in human beings. Do you know what I mean? And it's so important to check up on each other. Like if you're going through something and you've got no one to speak to, reach out. Like there is people that care. Or if you know a friend or a family member who's going through a difficult time, reach out to them. It doesn't cost nothing. It doesn't hurt nothing. And what's most important, everybody needs somebody, isn't it? Yeah. And the problem what we have with mental health is if I say to you, this is natural instinct as a human being. If I say to you, how are you doing, Sean? You're going to naturally say to me, or you say to me, Daniel, how are you doing? I'm going to be, I'm all right. But guess what? I'm not all right. Mm. And I've not been feeling all right. But I'm not going to tell no one that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to suffer in silence and I'm going to deteriorate and I'm not going to be able to cope. It's okay so, not to be okay. It's okay to not be okay. That's it. And that's the message that I'm really trying to push with this mental health, like, it could be a bad day, a bad week, the worst year of your life. But one thing, if you don't bottle it up and if you you speak and you have a voice or speak to somebody that's not part of your circle, it can help because you're releasing stuff that's built up. And it's just like a pot. When you boil it and you don't turn it down, simmer it, it's just going to overflow with the lid on. And this is what happens a lot with mental health. And it's something, as men... We are too ashamed or feel like we're not alpha or strong enough if we let people know that we're struggling and we're suffering because the stigma that comes with it and the labels and people would rather just suffer in silence. And I urge everybody, like, trust me, I'm a living testimony to this. If if you're going through anything, any hardship, you've been through things in your childhood, release it before it's too late because you don't, want to end up in the situations that I've ended up in which could have been prevented if I did have the right support yeah so this is definitely one of the most inspirational testimonies we've ever had from someone on mental health yeah it's just so powerful Daniel I I sit on it really I'm not even going to lash one I need to go to the toilet you know no no (laughs) we're we're, we're finished we're finished hold on we're at the two hours now before before because I've not really touched on the um all right, so we left off with Daniel telling us the story of where he got tased and he was, you know, out and about, picks himself up, pulls him out, but then they, they got him with one final one. Yeah, so when I've collapsed on the floor, um, I've landed on my face, and which you can probably see from the camera, I've got missing teeth. So that was a big, <clears throat> a big thing for my my insecurities and stuff like that and... Just yeah, it was a that was a big thing for me even to come on podcasts and things like that because it's embarrassing to have missing teeth naturally in it, but there's a reason behind it and that comes with the journey. So, but within a record time, you 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 know doing this charity work. Yeah, so when I came out of the hospital in so I went in in June 
and I came out in July. So I was in for six weeks. Um, when no longer than so May, and then came out um, July. Um, I'm like I explained. I'm never on medication when I come out. It's only the two times I've been in there. So I'm still struggling. I'm still going through a difficult time. Um, and see, there's little bits I've I've left out as well, which is which is important. Which is the the selling selling the drugs and stuff. I I decided, um, and I think do you know what? This is a very very important message. And like I said, I'm, no one's to judge anybody in it. We don't have the right to do that. But each to their own. And it just wasn't my path and purpose. So I'm I've got a line now, and I'm doing doing quite well actually i'm making a bit of money no crazy crazy money but making a bit of change and i've been doing this consistently now for a couple of years so i'm out there mainly um the coke and the weed but it's the coke that made me really change up how i was living and like I explained in the beginning, which is important for people to know, there's um some people have to shot or move food or whatever they're doing because they have no other option and way. But sometimes if you go down this road and you know it's not you, you know it's not your purpose, you've got kids, you've got family, you want to be there for them, you don't want to show them this wrong example, then at some point you have to make that conscious decision subconsciously first and foremost to understand the effect that you're having on the people that you're dealing with. And I kept going through a cycle where every day, see, I don't like to stay on this spiritual stuff too much, but this is the reality and this is, this is real. Like my opinion, like you can get visions, signs, messages from certain places. You just have to be aware of what's going on. And this is 2018. So from 2016, I had a shop in Peckham, which I was explaining, and I was still juggling a bit. Then I left there and was still doing my thing, clothes and the shutting. And in 2018, I made a decision. Like my phone was nothing to glorify, but this is something people need to understand. The money, which we all know is the quotes there for a reason. It's the root of all evil. And it opens up a lot of avenues for a lot of other sins to take place in your life, which will lower who you are in this world for the, you know. And I'd made a decision because every time I was meeting someone and giving them a packet or whatever, I'm taking their £100, they could even be turning up with their kids. For about two weeks, I was saying this to Nick yesterday, like I kept having a feeling and a message, like my purpose is to take care of people and to be a carer so as much as the money i'm deteriorating these people by every mm. packet i give them they're sending off the wrong energy exactly mm. it could be their kids last hundred pound the mum the parents and they're giving it to me so i'm always going home saying no this is this ain't right like it's nothing to do with police or being paranoid or nothing like that i just said these people that i'm meeting i'm taking all their money I'm deteriorating them. They're losing the plot with their misses. The kids are struggling. And I had a phone that was doing quite well. I woke up one day and I said to myself, enough's enough. And I snapped the chip. 
and I put it in the drain in 2018. So I've never looked back, and that was Christmas time. And yeah, so my life has been clean, and obviously the journey of the transition after coming out of the hospital, I set up um, my homeless organisation, Back On Your Feet. Like we said, losing family members, my cousin through drugs and mental health and stuff like that. So I decided to um, do an outreach and that's why it's um, good to have brothers like Nixon that was with me. He didn't follow me on the journey, but he was always been part of the journey and he was with me that day. And we both went to Lidl's and... Other supermarkets available. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I had had about... Oh, yeah, but prior to that, um, which people that was around me know, I withdrew £2,000. No, I took £2,000 to the bank and I um, changed 1000 into fivers and 1000 into £10 notes and I started giving it around and giving it to vulnerable people. Anyone I see, I'll be like, oh, here's a five, here's a 10, here's 20. So I was doing that for a minute and I was on that mission of like, do you know what, this money that I've made, because I know the power of it and where it's come from, the karma effect, I just didn't want to have it around me. So I said, you know what, best way, just give some of it out. I gambled about 20 grand of it on the roulette within that one year. Black or red? Any. <laughs> Odds, evens, <laughs> zero. But yeah, it, um, it went pear-shaped and I lost all my money. And the last little bit of money I had... I gave away to people on the street and a couple of people was thinking, oh, he's gone mad again. That was, what's he up to? Is he going down the same road again? But at this point now, I know my purpose. So I've decided to to go back to it, go to Lidl's. I had £15 to my name and I went and bought chicken, mince, vegetables and rice. And I went back to my mum's house and my mum at this time, something I, again I forgot to mention is, suffering with terminal cancer <clears throat> so I've yeah so I found out my mum had cancer before my dad died so it was just a just an effect and then I was taking care of her but she was that one that gave me those motivational words like look if this is what you believe in this is what you want to do don't worry about nothing just go ahead and do it so I made 15 food boxes and I went to I went from Surrey Keys to Peckham no, Surrey Keys to New Cross, New Cross to Peckham, which is in the same circle. But um, then got a train to Shoreditch. And from that day, I'd done every single day for nine months, for seven seven days a week for nine months. I'd hit the street and I'd walk all around London, north, south, east, west, just get on the train, get off any random stop. If I see anybody in need, distribute food, clothing and with um back on your feet it's a non-profitable organization so i fund everything myself and i've also the public that make donations to my gofundme page they support me to buy essential items so i've done many different projects been doing many different projects of um for the vulnerable people so I started off doing the food and drink project. Um, then I've done the clothing, clothing initiative, handing out clothing, footwear. I've done a winter 
um, initiative. We're handing out sleeping bags, woolly hats, gloves, hand warmers, anything that come with it. Have um, you seen that new? Sorry to interrupt. Have you seen that new project? I think I sent it to you on WhatsApp, where they're making out of recycled crisp packets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah There's blankets. Them, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're yeah, putting they, them together yeah, for the foil become, blankets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, I've actually been in chats with that person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he was doing doing lots of that, and I learned how to cut hair in jail. So I started giving the homeless people haircuts while I was just going around the streets. I travelled to Derbyshire and done Leicester, Sheffield, Chesterfield, um, Derby, done an outreach. I've put, since October last year, I've supported over 3,000 people singly-handed myself because wow. I don't have a team. I have a couple of members, but they're not, committed because of other commitments and stuff um yeah so it's just been go 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 from there and people start seeing what i'm doing offering me support like other organizations making food for me and yeah it's just been it's been a great it's been a great journey and i've learned i've learned so much more about myself and my purpose and yeah so back on your feet's been founded for a year now it was our anniversary on the 15th for this month and yeah, just got so much more things to come in the sense of what I've been talking about of the work that I want to do is to tackle um, young people's behaviour and help them not make the same mistakes, provide support with mental health, um, especially like vulnerable women, which is very important to me, um, having not many people know about this, but obviously I've had family members struggling with addictions and stuff like that homelessness and a couple of aunties have been raped and things like that so <clears throat> something that i've never mentioned but this is the the goal the vision is say for instance there was a young lady called louise on my page she had been homeless she's got kids but came from a violent relationship and she said to me daniel some man keeps trying to get into my sleeping bag and touch me and whatever so I paid for her to go into a hotel for five nights and then I done a referral for her to get into a hostel and then she's now got a flat. So mm-hmm. that's the goal of Back On Your Feet is to um, keep making a difference in people's lives. That Do you are going work with through. safe houses? No, not safe houses. It's um, yeah. it's um, called Street Link, right. which is a referral and then they come out, see them, put them into um, accommodation. So, yeah, and it's just been... It's been all go go from there because it's been every day. But like I said, it was every day for nine months. But because of my energy and I was giving so much, uh, no, not enough sleep and taking care of myself, I've took a couple of months off to focus on my life. And now I've got a shop where I'm selling my online clothes. Like the, I've got a base for my online store, and also it's connected with back on your feet. We've got to mention your shoes today. You've got to get them on camera. Oh, yeah? Can you, can you <laughs> hold your shoe up? Yeah, it's giving me shoe up. Outbooted Jen's boots today. Look at those. Well done. Let's get them up. Troll's going to have a field day with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so that's, um, that's that. And got a lot of things coming, especially with It Is What It Is TV and other people connecting and just using the platform, doing good putting good out there and re- reaping the rewards of the goodness that we do so that's the goal so guys don't forget go follow back on your feet um on instagram go follow it is where it is tv on instagram and on youtube obviously sean jenny and the team 
But guys, thank you so much um, for listening to my story. And please, please follow the journey of Back on Your Feet, helping make a difference in people's lives that are going through a difficult, traumatic time in life and just need that extra bit of support, little bit of care, which we all need as human beings. Definitely. Such a powerful mission, Daniel. And oh, thank you. What an amazing way yeah. to end it. Yeah. yeah I'm sure the people watching this are going to want to support you. So if you enjoyed this story today, what's happened in Daniel's life, he's been to hell and back and hell and back and hell and back and hell and back. And now he's got this mission. If you want to support his mission, you know, at least go and subscribe to his uh, socials, Instagram, Back on Your Feet, YouTube, Back on Your Feet TV. He's got a... Um, is it a GoFundMe as well? Yeah, GoFundMe. He's, he's got a GoFundMe. We'll have that link down there. We'll have Nick, Nick's It Is What It Is TV down there as well, who organised this interview today. And um, and Jens as well, if you want, want the organic cotton boots. There's going to be a line of boots coming out next. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So, and just, well, just one more thing, Sean. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. So, um, just for the viewers, like um, I've got the link for the um, GoFundMe page. And as you know, Many people get given money and you don't know where the funds go. Um, with me, um, I document and log every single thing on my socials. So, and I also send you a receipt or give you an update of where your funds has been used. So you can also use me as a portal if you want to make a difference in someone's life, but you don't have the time or you've got family or working, you don't can't get out there like that and you'd like to invest in myself to do the work i'm more than happy to do that and update you where your funds have gone so thank you sweet all right man give us a hug yeah yeah, yeah. 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 cheers cheers come, come here here at boomer and jen we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing we all know our planet is important We only have this one, so it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Gen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon, in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textiles Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk